0: Children, and I want you to notice this, children, Uh, you are being specifically addressed here in this text. Children, the Apostle Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So far the reading of God's most holy word, may the Lord add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. I've given this sermon title, It All Starts in the Home. That is the title. Um, that might be an overstatement, right? Uh, it All Starts in the Home. Well, the statement is true, I think, though, as it pertains to individuals learning how to be good and productive members of society in general and how to honor authority wherever it exists in particular. In particular. All of that starts in the home as children learn to honor their father and their mother. Uh, This is what the Apostle teaches here in Ephesians chapter 6, and his teaching is rooted, you will notice, in God's law. Children are to learn to not covet, but to be content, to not lie, but to promote the truth, to not steal, but to labor with their own hands, doing honest work so that they might have something to share with those in need to not commit adultery, but to be faithful to the marriage covenant and to all other covenants that they make, to not murder with hatred in the heart, but to love from the heart, and to honor authority wherever it exists. This, All of this, they are to learn in the home by first honoring their father and their mother. It all starts in the home in that sense. The home is the place where Christian children are to learn to keep the first table of the law, which has to do with the proper love and worship of God. And where all children are to learn to keep the second table of the law, which has to do with the proper love and treatment of fellow human beings. All of that, as I have said, starts in the home for the first and principal commandment of the second table of the law is, in fact, honor your father and your mother, as the apostle says. And I have begun the sermon in this way by stepping back just a bit from Paul's specific command to Christian children. To obey their parents and the Lord, so that you might see from the outset that although Paul addresses Christian children directly, what he says to them has far-reaching implications for the church and for society in general. Paul, remember, is addressing life within the Christian home in this section of his epistle. He is applying the wonderful and rich truths that he has established earlier in his epistle to the family relationship and. 4.1 through 5.21, his focus was upon life within the church, and there he exhorted us to walk worthy as the people of God in this world by preserving unity, by pursuing holiness, and ultimately by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that is Ephesians 5.21. But in 5.22 and following, the focus turns to the home, to the Christian family, and there we have learned that wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, And there we also learn in verse 25 that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And now we hear Paul say, children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, he says. And so the focus is upon the family here in this text. But let us not forget that what happens in the family will have a profound impact upon the church and upon society. And again, this is why I have said that it all starts in the home. The command that the apostle issues is very straightforward, isn't it? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children are addressed by the apostle directly. This fact is easily overlooked, I think, but it is very significant. We are to remember that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. This letter was to be read aloud to the church as she assembled there in Ephesus. And what was Paul's assumption, except that the children would be present with the church assembled to hear the reading of his letter? For he addresses them directly. He does not say, Parents, tell your children to honor you, assuming that they were somewhere else, but instead he speaks to them directly in his letter, saying, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord.'" And so the Apostle's expectation was that children, even small children, would be present in the Christian assembly to hear his letter read. And this has been the practice of the church throughout church history. Children, even small children, would sit in the assembly with their parents. They would grow up under the ministry of the Word. They would learn to worship and to pray alongside their parents and it was not until very recently that the church has, in some circles, decided to send their children off to another place during corporate worship. And I think the effects have been devastating. Many children, as you know, in our culture, leave the church when they reach adulthood. But I wonder if it is not in part because they were never a part of the church while growing up. And so I think it is important for us to have our children in the church service with us. I know that for some of you with very young children, this could be a challenging time. I know that some mothers and fathers say, I had a hard time focusing upon the sermon today for for an obvious reason. And I sympathize with that. We ourselves pass through that season of life with our children. But it is a very brief season. And I think, parents, you would all agree, as you have experienced this, that this is good. Even your small children are able to listen, they're able to learn, even if it is just through observation. They see you worship, they hear you sing, they listen to us pray, and they are learning how to worship the triune God through, even if it is just observation. And I do believe that they also listen to the sermon. Uh, they might not be locked in on the entire thing the way that adults are, hopefully. Um, hopefully the adults are. But they get some of what is said. I know that they do. Uh, I will sometimes be encouraged by feedback uh, concerning that, that very point. But here I think it is important for us to simply recognize this often overlooked point that when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he addressed children. He spoke to them directly saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so, children, I am speaking to you now. And I want for you to listen to me carefully at this point. It is so very important that you are here it is important for you to worship God. It is important for you, even if you are very young, to sing to God, to pray to Him, to listen to His Word preached. And I do understand that it can be difficult sometimes. I know that sometimes my sermons seem so very long to you. I get feedback of that sort as well. I, uh, you know, I, I understand that it can be difficult. But it is an important thing for you to be here and to be participating in the worship of God along with your family. It is important for you to listen and to try to understand. And I do trust that you will grow. That you will mature in time. And please also understand, children, that you are very blessed to have a parent or parents who have faith in Christ. You are very blessed to be brought up in a Christian home where the good news of Jesus Christ is explained to you and where the faith is taught. It is a privilege to be raised in the Lord in this way. And of course, our prayer, the prayer of your parents and the prayer of the entire congregation, and in fact this is our expectation, is that one day you will make a profession of faith of your own. Our hope is that you as children will come to one day say, I trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And that you will come to say, Jesus is my Lord. And it will be then, when that credible profession of faith is made, that you will be baptized in water and invited to the Lord's table. And until then, your parents will strive to raise you up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you are to honor them. You are to obey them. For this is what the scriptures say. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So children, it is very important for you to obey your parents and to honor them. When you obey your parents, you are really obeying God. I think this is one of the most important things that I want for the children to understand this morning. When you are obeying your parents, more than obeying your parents, you are ultimately obeying God. For God is the one who has commanded that you honor and obey them. God designed men and women to live in this way. His design was that children would be born to a mother and father who are joined together in the covenant of marriage. The child is to grow up in that environment. There, the, children is to learn many, the child is to learn many things. There, the child is to learn to love God supremely and to love his or her neighbor as themselves. The child is to learn wisdom. The child is to learn to honor authority. There, to learn to honor God's authority, ultimately, And they are to learn to honor all of the authorities that exist within the world by His appointment. And this the child will learn from experience. They will learn to honor all kinds of authority as they first of all learn to honor the authority that their mother and father has over them. And so once again, children, be very careful to honor your parents. It is a big deal. It is very important. God commands it. Be careful to obey your mom and dad. And I would say to you, even to you small children who are listening right now, do not give in to the temptation to disrespect your parents or to disobey them ever. You are to obey your parents even when you don't feel like it. You are to obey your parents even when you think that they are wrong. You are to show them honor and respect even when you think that they are being unfair or unreasonable. The text says most clearly, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And I think that phrase, in the Lord, is very important. Paul assumes that these children to whom he is writing are being raised in the Lord. They are being taught the faith and they are hearing the gospel. He probably assumes that many of them have faith already. After all, here he is speaking to them. He assumes that they can comprehend His words, and he assumes that the ones who do not yet have faith or who have not made a credible profession yet will do so in the future. He's speaking to a group of children who are being raised up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And by the way, parents, I think this should be the attitude that we have towards our children. On the one hand, we know that our children are born into this world not in Christ, but in Adam. You understand that, I hope. Because you are a Christian does not mean that your children are born into this world, Christians, with faith, as if they are regenerate from birth. That is a false doctrine. We know that they are born not into the covenant of grace, but they are actually born into this world, into the broken covenant of works. And so this means, on the one hand, that we must be very diligent to proclaim the gospel to them. We must be diligent to teach the faith to them and to pray for true repentance and a credible profession. Nevertheless, we must also raise them in the Lord. I believe that our expectation should be that they will believe upon Christ. We should not be pessimistic regarding this, but optimistic. Our children, Paul says elsewhere, are sanctified by the believing parent or parents. Uh, that does not mean that they are saved in Christ, in the covenant of grace, but what it means is that they are set apart and in a privileged position in the world, being in such close proximity to the gospel, to the truth of the Christian faith, to the worship of God. They are, they are in a privileged place. So I do believe that our, our attitude should be optimistic concerning our children and not pessimistic. Uh, so, so we should have this expectation But they will believe upon Christ. Our hope should be that when asked, when did you first believe, they will respond saying, I cannot say for sure. Are you following with me? I asked a young girl just the other day who is being baptized today, do you know when it was that you first believed? Was there a moment of conversion that was radical and obvious? And she said to me, no. And I said, that's wonderful. Are you following with me? Some of you had radical conversions. You lived in the world. You were brought up not in the faith, but in the world. You, you, you sinned a lot, and you were headed in bad paths, bad ways, and, and God rescued you. It was a radical conversion. So you can say that on June the 5th, 19-whatever, I came to faith in Christ. Wonderful. That also is a wonderful testimony. But parents... It may be that your children are simply brought up in the Lord, that they come to someday make a credible profession of faith and be baptized, but they might not be able to remember a time when they did not believe. What will they remember, though? They will remember their baptism. They will remember that moment when they said to the world, I believe in Christ, when they said to the world, Jesus is Lord. This might be our experience, and I pray that it is with our children. I pray that they do not, for a time, walk in the world and therefore have to experience a radical conversion. Uh, Hopefully, the Lord will use our faithfulness to raise them in the nurture and discipline of the Lord, to to simply grow them up in Christ and in the faith. Uh, This is not to deny that the Lord does have to convert them. The Lord does have to do this work upon their heart. There does have to be repentance and faith. But for Christian children raised in the church, sometimes this is so progressive that it's hard to identify an exact moment when it all came together. And so, no, our children are not born into faith, nor are they born into the covenant of grace in any sense. They are, though, sanctified by the believing parent, for that parent is bringing them up up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children... When you obey your parents, you are to do it in the Lord. That is the Apostle's command. Obey your parents in the Lord. This means that you are to obey them for the sake of and with the strength that the Lord provides. Remember that something similar was said to wives concerning submission to their husbands. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Paul said in Ephesians 5.22. And something similar was also said concerning the husband's headship over the wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we could even look ahead a little to consider Paul's instructions to fathers and to bondservants and to masters. In every instance, the command to lead or to submit has reference to Christ the Lord. Fathers are to bring their children up in the Lord. Bondservants are to serve their earthly masters sincerely as bondservants of Christ. And masters are to rule being ever mindful of the fact that Christ is their master. So in each and every instance, authority and submission is to be offered up as an act of submission to the Lord, ultimately. I think to make it more concrete for the children, I might say this. Children, when mom or dad asks you to do something or tells you that you can't do something, it is very important that you honor and obey them, even if you don't like their decision. You shouldn't talk back. You shouldn't throw a fit. You shouldn't throw a fit of the toddler sort, nor should you throw a fit of the teenager sort. There are different kinds of fits, you see. But instead, what you should say to them, and I think you should learn this, it is important. You should learn to say the words, yes, mom, or yes, dad, and then to follow through with obedience and respect. That is not to say that a child cannot dialogue with their parents and to ask honest questions. Um, But I think it is important for children to learn to say, yes, mom, or yes, dad, and then to follow through with obedience and respect. Ultimately, you should do this in the Lord and in service to Christ. One last question before moving on to the rationale and motive that the Apostle gives for this commandment. Is there ever a time when a child should disobey his or her parents? Is there ever a time? And you might be surprised to hear me say yes. A child is right to disobey his or her parents when the parent commands or forbids something that is in direct contradiction to what God commands or forbids. I doubt any of our children will ever experience this. I would be severely disappointed if they did. But I think it is important for us to mention this, for what I am saying here regarding a child's submission to parents has implications for our submission to authority, doesn't it? In adulthood even. And this principle must be retained. I doubt any of our children will ever experience this, but some children do in the world. To give a rather innocuous example, if an unbelieving parent were to say to a child who believes, you are not allowed to pray to God or to speak of Christ to your friends, then the child is right to pray and to speak to Christ in disobedience to their parents' ungodly command. For when when the two are in conflict, we are bound to obey God and not man. But even then the child should offer up the righteous disobedience respectfully and with a pure conduct. And brothers and sisters, I think you can see what I am doing here. I am saying this not so much for our children. I don't think they experience this. But for the adults who are in the world, uh, who, who are living under even oppressive authorities right now. We must be very careful about how we go about disobedience when we choose to walk down that path because some authority is commanding us to do that which God forbids or forbidding us to do that which God commands. Let us now consider the rationale of the apostle. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. What are the next few words here, the next four? He says, For this is right. Why should children obey their parents? What is the rationale or reason that the apostle gives? He says simply this this is right. And what does it mean for something to be right? Have you ever thought about that question? What does it mean for something to be right? I want for you to consider three things briefly. One, things are right when they are in accord with the way God designed them to be. We are to recognize that God designed the world and all that is in it to function in a particular way. Things are right when they function according to God's design. And they are wrong when they are out of step with God's design. And as it pertains to the family, God's design is that wives submit to their husbands, that husbands lovingly lead their wives by giving themselves up for them, and that children honor their parents by obeying them. Things are right when each one is doing their part, but something is wrong in the home when they are not. The Christian must understand this most fundamental truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He designed the world in general And the family in particular to function in a particular way. And we ought to be eager to do what is right. That is to live according to God's design in the family and in every other sphere of life. You you might be listening to me right now as a Christian saying this is so obvious. Does it even need to be stated? And the answer is yes. It needs to be stated. Because this is certainly not obvious to the world. I'm contemplating whether or not I should go on a brief tangent right now. Should I? I don't know. I had the wonderful privilege of performing a wedding ceremony yesterday. And if you've ever um, been to a wedding that I conduct, you'll, you'll know that I have a certain way of doing it. it it's rather biblical. Some might call it traditional. Traditional. Um, rather explicit with the gospel, rather explicit concerning the proper ordering of the marriage relationship. Someone did not like that too much at the wedding I conducted last night and challenged me as I was walking out the door, you know, very pointedly, challenged me concerning the idea of submission and then ultimately concerning the idea of marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, it was a wonderful little conversation, actually. went quite well. Um, but I bring it up just to say that Though in this environment, this might seem obvious to us. Doesn't everyone believe this way? The answer is certainly not. This idea that God created the heavens and the earth and that God designed things to function in a particular way and that God designed the family to function in a certain way. I don't need to tell you this. It it is not common knowledge or common belief today. And yet, we must preach it and teach it. And we must model it as Christians as we live within this world. Two, Things are right when they are in accord with God's moral law as revealed in nature. Not only has God designed the world in a particular way, as he, is, he has also revealed His moral law to men and women. In fact, the scriptures are clear that He has written this moral law on man's heart. Paul teaches this most clearly in Romans 1 and 2. And it's there that he speaks of this law that is written upon the heart of every person. And there he speaks of the conscience also that resides within man. And so the obligation for children to honor and obey their parents is not unique to Christian children. All children are to honor their parents. This is a part of God's moral law written upon the heart of man at creation. God's moral or natural law reveals what is right. And even the unbeliever who does not have access to the scriptures has access to this moral law. It is written upon their heart, even though they have suppressed it and distorted it. And it is apparent in the world that God has made, even if they are blind to it. Those who are wise, I think, in the world perceive God's moral law and strive to keep it. And something is right, as I have just said, when it is in accord with God's moral law as revealed in nature. I think, brothers and sisters, uh, we have an opportunity to to reason with the world from the scriptures, and I will come to that in just a moment. But when it comes to these things that are a part of God's moral law, we also can argue uh, for the, 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 the biblical position from nature as well. In fact, when I was challenged just last night concerning marriage between a man and woman, I, I simply said our view is that marriage between a woman and a woman is is invalid, though it might be valid in the eyes of the state. It is not a valid marriage Um, After all, one of the purposes for marriage is procreation. You see, I'm making an argument from natural law at this point. Procreation, uh, the building up of society, the nurturing of children. And a woman and a woman cannot procreate, neither can a man or a man. It is a natural law argument. And here I am simply saying that things are right when they are in accord with God's moral law, as is revealed in nature. And three... Something is right when it is in accord with God's moral law as revealed in Scripture. So yes, God's moral law is revealed in nature. It is revealed so clearly that men and women are justly held accountable for breaking it. God will judge them by this law on the last day. But God's moral law is revealed much more clearly in the Scriptures, as you know. In the Scriptures we find the moral law. The Ten Commandments are a summary of it. And in the Scriptures we find wisdom. They tell us how we ought to live with great specificity and clarity. And, of course, the gospel is also revealed in the Scriptures. Though we have violated God's law and thought, word, and deed, and though we are deserving of God's judgment, He has mercifully provided a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. So through Him and in faith, we have the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and the hope of life eternal, along with many other blessings. But here we are talking about the law God's moral law is revealed in the Scriptures clearly and concretely. And in the Scriptures, the Christian learns what is right and what is wrong. We must have an attitude of humility as we come before God's Word. We must receive it as God's Word and seek to keep it in the Lord and with His strength. Notice that the Apostle, after commanding children to obey their parents, and after declaring that this is right then supports his claim that this is right by quoting the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. I suppose that Paul could have demonstrated that it is right for children to obey their parents by reasoning from nature and appealing to the natural law. He could have argued that it is good for the children to learn to respect authority, that it is good for society, that... That children obeying their parents within the family has been the custom in all societies throughout the history of the world. But Paul is writing to Christians who believe the scriptures to be the word of God. And so he simply cites the command to prove that this is right. Honor your father and your mother, the law says. Friends, you cannot earn your salvation through the keeping of God's law. As it pertains to our right standing before God, the law condemns us now for we have all broken God's law. We cannot expect to be justified by keeping God's law, for we are all transgressors of it. And so in this sense, the law is a curse to us. It condemns us. It cannot save us. But let us not forget that the law of God is good. Indeed, it is very good, provided that we approach it properly. The law is good in that it shows us our need for a Savior, It is used by God to drive sinners to faith in Christ. The gospel is that Christ kept the law of God for us, and He died in the place of sinners, death being the just penalty for sin. The forgiveness of sins is received through faith in Christ. But before we can repent and believe, we must recognize our need for a Savior. And we will recognize our need only by considering God's law as we come to the realization that we have broken it and knowing that we stand before God guilty and condemned. In this sense, the law is good. It is good that we know the truth concerning our sin and guilt and thus thus recognize our need. Children, I don't want you to answer this question out loud, so just remain silent. But I might ask you, considering God's law, honor your father and your mother. Have you ever in your life dishonored them? disrespected them, disobeyed them? The answer is certainly yes. We all did when we were children. We, we all did. You have. So what does that mean for you? It actually means that you are a sinner, that you are guilty before God, that you have broken His commandment and that you deserve to be punished by Him. That's a serious thing. It's important for you to know God's law for that reason, just to see that you need a Savior, you need to have your sins washed away because you have violated God's law in thought, word, and deed. And I am saying you, but of course you understand that it is true of all of us. We all have violated God's law in different ways. And in pro- and when we approach God's law in this way, we begin to see that it is good. It is good that God disciplines us with His law so that we might see our tremendous need before Him. And the law is also good in another sense. Uh, The moral law of God revealed in nature generally and revealed in Scripture specifically and clearly tells us what is right and what is wrong. It shows us how we should live. Men and women living in this world struggle to know what is right and wrong. And this is due to the corruptions in them. It's due to the corruptions in us. It's due to our blindness and hardness of heart. But the Scriptures reveal it clearly. So what should the Christian's attitude be towards the law? We must start by confessing that it cannot save. Salvation is only through faith in Christ, who, as the God-man, kept the law on behalf of sinners and bore the curse of the law in the place of sinners. But on the other hand, the Christian should love and cherish the law of God. For the Spirit of God uses the law to discipline those God loves and to guide them in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Our attitude towards the law should be the same that the psalmist Had When he expressed in Psalm 119, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The psalmist then went on to say, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches." I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I might live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me the scorn and contempt. For I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. That is Psalm 119, 9 through 24. That's the longest chapter in the Bible. I've read only a portion of it. But there, the psalmist again and again expresses his tremendous love and appreciation for his desire for the law of God. And he uses different terms to refer to the law, but he is saying the same thing over and over again. God's law is wonderful, it is great, and we as Christians should have the same attitude concerning it. Children, you should have the same attitude concerning God's law. You should love it because it shows you, among other things, how it is that you ought to live in this world according to wisdom. And brothers and sisters, may this Be your attitude as well. May you store up God's Word in your heart. May you long to be taught the statutes of the Lord and delight in them as much as in all riches, knowing that by keeping them you will bring glory to God and find the blessings of life abundant. Lastly, let us briefly consider the motive that the Apostle gives for this command. For obedience to this command after Paul quotes the fifth commandment which says honor your father and mother he adds a little remark there it's in parentheses in our English version saying this is the first commandment with a promise and then he continues on with quoting the fifth commandment which does indeed contain a promise saying that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So here is a motive for children to honor their parents and obey them Do it so that it may go well with you in the land, that you may live long in the land, the Apostle says. When Paul says that the fifth commandment is the first commandment with a promise, he means two things. Please pay careful attention here. One, the fifth commandment is the first commandment in the sense that it is the leading or principal commandment in the second table of the law. As you know, I think, that the moral law of God is summarized in Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are divided into two sections. The first four commands have to do with man's relation to God. The last six have to do with man's relation to man. And the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is the first or principal commandment in the second table of the law. As I have said, learning to love and properly relate to man begins in the home It is in the home, through obedience to parents, that children are to learn to keep the commandments that are listed here, 6 through 10, from the heart. And I think this is what Paul means when he says that the fifth commandment is the first commandment. It wouldn't make much sense for him to say that the fifth commandment is the first commandment, to have a promise attached to it. For in fact, it is the only commandment with a promise of the ten. And so in this case, first means first in rank. Or first in importance, in importance. This is what the Greek word for first here is, is referring to. Here is the principal command. Uh, it sits at the head of this second table of the law. It is preeminent in that sense. And so think about it for a moment. If I were to ask you which commandment of the last six is of first importance, what do you suspect most people would say? I suspect most people would choose the sixth commandment, which is, you shall not murder. And why do you think they would choose that as the most important one out of the last six? Well, they might reason in this way. Well, murder is the most heinous sin forbidden in the second table of law. Maybe, maybe they would think that way. But I want you to notice that Paul identified the fifth as being the first in rank. And in fact, God himself identified the fifth as the first in rank when he gave it and put it in the position that he did as the head of the second table of the law. To state the matter differently, I wonder if most people wouldn't consider the fifth to be the least important. If they were reasoning to themselves and and ranking things concerning heinous sins or less heinous sins, maybe they would think this, murder is awful, adultery is also very bad, it is really very bad to steal from others. It's bad to lie. But, you know, a little disobedience in the home. What's the big deal? Are you following with me? That might be the way that we reason. Um, but it's exactly the opposite, in fact. Uh, here we see that God places uh, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, in that first place. And, and Paul draws attention to that. It's the first commandment. In the second table of law, it's the preeminent one. And, and again, I think it is that when children learn to honor their parents in the home, they do in fact learn to do all of these other things that are listed in God's moral law. It is in the home that the heart is to be trained to love God as supreme and to love others as yourself. And so the command to honor father and mother is given first place. This is important for us to hear as Christians. This, this is what our society needs to wake up to as well. Don't you agree? It all starts in the home, friends. Friends. We cannot neglect the home. We cannot let marriage be broken apart. We, we cannot let marriage be redefined. We cannot neglect our responsibilities as fathers and mothers. It has a tremendous impact upon society. And it has a tremendous impact upon the church of God as well, friends. Next week, we're going to turn our attention to fathers and, by way of implication, to mothers. We have to do our job. We have to do what God has called us to do. We cannot be slack It has tremendous implications. It will have a tremendous impact upon our children, their ability to love and worship God and to love their fellow man according to the law of God. Two, Paul then draws our attention to the fact that this first command does have a promise attached to it, namely that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let me make just a few brief remarks about this promise. Originally, the promise was delivered to Israelite children. And so the promise of long life in the land had specific reference to the land of Canaan. If Israelite children would honor their parents, they should expect to have a good and blessed life in the land of Canaan. Two, this promise is to be understood as a general precept. Certainly, there were some in Israel who, although they did in fact honor their father and mother, experienced difficulty in this life and lived only a short time in the land. This is the reality of life. Sometimes the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper. The promise concerning a blessed and long life is to be understood as a general precept. The Proverbs are also to be interpreted in this way. Generally, those who are diligent in their work prosper, the Proverbs teach us, while sluggards come to ruin. But as you know from experience, this is not always true. It is a general precept. There are exceptions to the rule. And generally, when parents train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a general precept. But it is not always true. Sometimes even parents who have done a very fine job raising their children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord see their children walk away from the faith. These are proverbs. Uh, these are promises, but are to be un- they're to be understood as general precepts. And the word promise here in Ephesians 6 must be understood in this way as it pertains to life on this earth. Generally, honoring one's parents leads to a blessed and long life in the land, whereas those who are rebellious find themselves coming to ruin. We see that that general precept is indeed true, but there are exceptions to the rule. Three, notice that Paul applies this same principle to the new covenant people of God who do not have a land of their own as it pertains to the kingdom of God, but live as exiles and sojourners. And so the promise is that those who honor their parents will in general and in one way or another be blessed wherever God has planted them in His good providence. So Paul takes that fifth commandment that was written originally to Israelite children and to the Israelite people, and he applies it to the new covenant people of God. And he is saying to us in general that we will be blessed in this world wherever God has planted us in his providence as we learn to honor our father and mother. By the way, Paul says that children are to obey their parents. He's speaking to young children. That obligation for children to obey their parents does dissolve as a child moves into adulthood. An adult child is no longer obligated to obey their parents. But what are they obligated still to do, even in adulthood? They are still obligated to honor them, according to the fifth commandment. Paul here, writing to small children, is commanding them to obey their parents, because this is how small children honor their parents as they are being raised in the home. But as we transition into adulthood, leave father and mother, establish a household of our own, that obligation to honor mother and father dissolves. But, brothers and sisters, even in adulthood, we must still honor our mother and our father. This promise concerning a blessed life and a long life is a motivation for obedience. It should not be the only motivation. I hope that you agree with me on that. I'm not even sure that it should be our primary motivation. A child should honor his or her parents being driven above else by their love for God, their love for their parents. And because it is right. But this is a motivation nonetheless. Those who honor their parents will be blessed as they live on the earth. For those who are in Christ, it will certainly be true in the world to come. And I think we must see this promise in that light as well. This will be true for the world to come. You will be blessed in the land. That is, that is the eternal land. The new heavens and new earth of which Old Covenant Israel was a prototype according to the book of Hebrews and according to the Scriptures. We will be blessed as we live on this earth, and there will be ultimate blessings found in the life to come if we will only keep God's commandments, specifically the command to honor their father and their mother. Little children, I I would imagine you have tuned out by now. Maybe I can grab your attention again and say this. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to experience good things in this life? Then honor your parents. Obey them. Learn to respect authority. It is a good thing. It leads to to very good things. We all struggle with trials and tribulations. This is not a promise that you will not somehow have difficult times in your life or suffer even. But it is a promise that you will be blessed as you live in this land. If you would only learn to to honor God supremely, to honor those authorities that He has established in the world, whatever form they take. And right now, your primary concern should be this, to honor your father and your mother. Let me make just a few brief suggestions for application by way of conclusion. Is this a longer sermon than normal? I have not preached for two weeks, so it's all stored up, I guess. I'm testing the children to see if they are going to be right. The most obvious is this, and I have already stated it, so it will be very brief. Children, honor your parents in the Lord. I have already covered that sufficiently. Secondly, I will address the parents. Parents, we must teach our children many things as we prepare them for adulthood, but one of the most fundamental things we must teach our children is how to show respect to authority. We must primarily be concerned to teach them this and I think this has implications for how we discipline our children, doesn't it? Um, we need to understand that teaching them to honor authority it's going to have huge impacts upon a huge impact upon their lives in fact it will even apply to them in this way in the future, they will learn how to, to, to honor and respect even civil authority and ecclesiastical authority in the future as they learn to, to honor and respect you the scriptures are very clear. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And so parents must discipline their children. And I do believe that sometimes corporal punishment is appropriate. This is biblical. But I think that corporal punishment must be delivered very carefully. Never should parents spank out of anger. Never should parents be overly harsh with their children. Certainly never should they do physical harm. Never should parents fail to instruct before and after punishment, especially punishment of this kind. And never should parents fail to reassure their children of their love before and after corporal punishment, after it's administered. And lastly, and here is the point that I'm trying to get to parents must choose carefully when to administer corporal punishment. Children should not be spanked, I do not believe, for being children, for acting like children, for being hyper or careless, or for making some other mistake associated with their childish immaturity. But I do believe that spankings are an order where there is willful defiance and disrespect of the parent. For Lindsay and I, that's where the line was when we raised our children. When do we spank? When there is willful defiance, where there is willful disrespect, then we need to get the child's attention and to say this is one thing you must not do. You might be childish, you might be immature, you might be hyper, you might be reckless and careless, you might be even rude, but God's law says you must honor your father and mother, and I'm concerned to teach you that, and I might need to get your attention in this way. We must be very careful when we, when we spank, when we use corporal punishment. We must do it very carefully, and I think especially in, in, in this circumstance, it, does have a way of grabbing the attention of the child and communicating to them that this is a grave sin to dishonor the authority that God has placed over them. I'll have an opportunity to say more about this next week when we come to the text that says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thirdly and lastly, I will speak to all Christians, saying, as we seek to promote the well-being of our society, we must encourage others even non-believers, to form strong families by appealing to God's moral laws revealed in nature and in the Holy Scriptures. God's design is that children would be conceived by a man and woman devoted to one another for life and the bonds of marriage. His design is that the man and woman would fulfill their commitments to one another as husband and wife and that they would fulfill their obligations to the child as mother and father. And Christian parents must be encouraged Uh, to to love one another in the Lord and to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We must encourage one another in this. Uh, This maybe should not be our primary concern. Our primary concern as Christians is the advancement of the kingdom of God. Amen? I hope you agree with that as we live in this society. But nevertheless, this should be a concern of ours to promote healthy families within our society. For as we do, we will also promote the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. If we care for the well-being of society, which we should, then we will also encourage the formation of healthy families, even amongst those who do not believe. And I can't think of a better way to do this than by example and through personal interaction with others as we live and salt as salt and light in this world. And so husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, must not neglect marriage in the family in order to chase after other pursuits God instituted marriage in the family in the beginning for the good of society and He also uses it as an instrument for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. I'll leave it to you uh, to consider the weaknesses and wickedness that exist within the church today and within our culture and to ask how much of this can be traced back to a breakdown within the family. I think a lot of it can. And we should certainly seek the well-being of our society and encourage strong families where where children will be taught to honor authority and to obey God's moral law But brothers and sisters, it must start in our families. Parents must take seriously the responsibility to raise their children in the Lord, to teach them God's law, and how to live according to wisdom. And children, you must also do your part. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, help us in these things. Help us to do what is right, to live according to your design. Help us to do all of these things as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as Christian men and women. Help us to do all of these things in the Lord. That is for the Lord's sake, with the strength that he provides. Father, help us to do all of these things in faith, knowing that we cannot earn our right standing before you through our goodness, through our keeping of the law, but must be found in Christ, cleansed by him on the last day, if we are to stand before you. Father, have mercy upon us. Strengthen us now to keep your word. In the name of Christ we pray.